Hi, hi. Thanks for tuning in. We wanted to put a flag on this episode. While all of our episodes cover adult content, and we know that our listeners are aware of that, we wanted to let you know before diving into this episode that we are interviewing the iconic, the legendary, dominant Sherry Rose. We get into some topics that might be difficult for some listeners in this episode. So if you are not interested in hearing about the history of sadomasochism, the work that Sherry Rose and Bob Flanagan did together, there will be mention of CBT, which is cock and ball torture. Bob Flanagan had cystic fibrosis, so we talk about cystic fibrosis and how that played into his kink exploration. So we just want to make sure that folks take care of yourselves. So if this is an episode that you think might be challenging, listen with care. We get in we start getting into kink around 25 minutes into the episode. We get deeper into the specifics of Sherry's practices around 35 minutes into the episode. So listen with care, y'all. Or come back next week if this one isn't for you. We want to make sure that everyone is consenting. So now on to the episode. It's, it's like, again, controlling the penis, which is something I've always wanted to do. I mean, as, I just think the penis is way too overrated and rules the world when it gets hard. That's all that counts, you know, and I think forget that. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Fuck Yeah, the podcast where we say fuck yeah to sadomasochism. Mm-hmm. I'm Robin, one of your co-hosts, and I'm here with pushing through it, even <laughs> showing up through the pain. Sarah, how are you, Sarah? I know. I'm okay. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for showing up, even though I know yeah. you're not like your shoulders giving you the, the business right now, right? Yeah, yeah. I actually was thinking today might be a good day to normalize uh, like a fuck no oh, instead yeah. of a fuck yeah. Yeah. Because we don't do that. And I, I love our fuck yes. Yeah. But I do realize like it's not always fuck yeah about everything. And we don't want to be toxic pause. You right, know? Yeah, totally. Yeah. And like my fuck no right now is so dominating and really relevant to things that we talk about. Yeah. Because I'm caught in the medical system right now Mm. in a way that I haven't been before. And it's really interesting. And I feel like there's some misogyny going Mm. on. I feel like also I'm aging and my body isn't responding to things I get used to. So I'm just having some personal challenges. But yeah, I mean, I fucked up my shoulder. I have no idea how. Like, I don't have an acute injury, 
it could legit be from my mouse. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like it's either like you have a traumatic thing happen or just consistent, repetitive, um, mild traumas. Repetitive motion. And this is my fucking arm. So it's a real drag. Oh, Yeah. It's not just my mouse hand. Wow. Or Andrea. (laughs) (laughs) So I went to physical therapy. Of course, that took weeks to get in. Right. And, you know, he's like, oh, you don't have a tear or anything, so let's just start working. And then pushed me to a point where perhaps I got an acute injury in physical therapy. That's terrible. Because there was, like, too much weight or resistance or something. So then it was like, oh, no, now I have a real injury. So he stopped doing those exercises and started doing, like, deep fascia work. And... Here's where the misogyny starts coming in. If not already. Is that like he started working on me so intensely that like literally tears would be streaming from my eyes on the table. And like nothing I said would get him to take a step back with the treatment. Yeah. I started feeling like I was being treated like my pain tolerance level is the issue and not the treatment. And I'm having Mm -hmm. moments of like wanting to tell these dudes because there are more dudes who come in the picture. Like I birthed a baby Mm -hmm. without pain meds. I'm not suggesting anyone should do that. (laughs) It's not actually a point of pride for me anymore. Like I don't know why that was something I chose to do. But like I did it. My pain tolerance is not. Like you know what pain is. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so through this process of physical therapy, right, it's not getting better. It's not getting better. So clearly I have to go to an orthopedic surgeon so that I can get the MRI. Like my doctor wouldn't give me a referral to an MRI. So then I have to wait weeks for him, right? And then I go in. He looks at me for all of like one minute. He's like, oh, you have frozen shoulder. Because now my pain response in my body has like frozen around whatever the injury is. And I don't have a lot of mobility in this arm anymore. But it's like frozen shoulder is clearly not the issue. Frozen shoulder develops as a response to an injury. Mm -hmm. But I see him for like a minute. He touches my body once and then is like, well, I can't do anything for you until you get an MRI. So, okay. I'm like weeks in and I still haven't gotten my MRI because mm-hmm. I got I finally got an appointment after calling multiple places and then they've rescheduled it because my insurance hasn't approved it. So I'm I'm trapped yep. in a system with dudes who are being sort of dismissive towards me. Insurance that's just bullshit, right? Like our insurance is so bad now in the US. And meanwhile, it's reached a point now where the pain is constant and I'm not sleeping Mm. and I can't I don't take pain meds because they just mess up my stomach so badly so I also finished my sex educator certification yes (laughs) I mean that's a fuck yeah congratulations huge like fuck yeah something I've put off for a long time but it meant I was at my desk for four solid weeks this is my very last day of not having left my desk like Mm. I haven't had a day off so all of it's compounding yeah and I'm just exhausted and in a lot of pain. Oh, I'm so glad so, you're here. <laughs> you actually showed up through all of that. Yeah, yeah. That's really intense. And, you know, it reminds me of what Andrew Gerza was telling us mm. last season about how we kind of ignore disability 
but yeah. we're all kind of on that road yes. towards at some point in your life, if you live long enough, you're going to experience disability yeah. and chronic pain could be a part of that immobility and dealing with the medical system is fucked. It's so messed up. Especially when you need intense care, like you need it right away and it's it's affecting your life so much. It's like so heartbreaking how long everything takes. I, I've never had a lot of restrictions around what my body can do is yeah. how I'll describe it. And as a result, I think that I have a very high level of productivity mm-hmm. and therefore I don't question when that's expected of me. Like I just happen to be in a moment work-wise and with the certification that that was sort of demanded of me. And, yeah. you know, as a parent, you never really like, you're never off from that, but it's, it is toxic mm-hmm. and I want to find better ways of setting boundaries because here's the thing is that what I'm noticing because in doing some research around this, nobody has given me any good information, mm-hmm. but actually frozen shoulders are really common for women mm. during hormonal changes. So my mom found this information out from a friend, which actually makes a lot of sense because I've talked on the podcast about like feeling like I'm getting kind of softer and there's been some things where my body is not working, quote unquote, for me. And I'm like, this might be totally hormonal. Mm -hmm. So like what is ahead and what's to come is having a level of my body not being able to do things in the ways that I have come to expect right for it to do, which is exactly what Andrew was talking about, that we're all going to hit that moment yep. of our abilities being impacted or becoming disabled. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's really, it's doing a number on my, like how I have come to expect myself to show up. Yeah. For things at a certain point your your body will force you to take a break yes and I think that's part of what happened to me with like mental health stuff yeah and I've never regained my productivity mm-hmm. but I and I've had to rework my life around that and things are actually a lot better because of it right because I was overdoing it yeah you know and yeah. you work too hard yeah <laughs> you know yes. I feel like you need I'm gonna tell you what you need Sarah. please please some alternative women medicine types yes you know there's got to be like some energy healing acupuncture something yes I just reached out to somebody today who's apparently a miracle worker body worker she is traveling the world right now but I think that she will be back soon and yeah I need to get someone's hands on me yeah like some healing hands some healing hands (laughs) some healing woman hands and you know no offense to other types of healers, but I think like particularly for you. Yes. You know, and, and where you're at with how you're feeling yeah. about it. Like, Well, you know. yeah. And I don't like right now, like the men's are not yeah. really on my, like I'm a little um, distrustful right now. I have not having great experiences with the men's. Yeah. Well, in general, there's a certain kind, there's a certain like man wavelength that does not jive with you. I've noticed yes. it over the years, many a times where I'm like, oh, that one is setting her off. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, today's guest, <sighs> you have wanted to have Sherry Rose on from day one. Yeah. When you were like, who should we have? Sherry Rose. <laughs> <laughs> Because Sherry's been, um, and I talk about it in the interview, so I won't get too into it now, but she was one of the first people that I ever saw doing domination, doing kink. 
and I was a teenager and it's such of the time. Like I'm starting to understand, like I remember seeing pictures of my mom in, in the fifties and I'm like, what is that? That's like so foreign <laughs> now. But now is like all my pictures from the eighties and nineties are starting to fade and get that mm-hmm. patina. And I'm like, oh, I can see how my kids really feel like this is just so distant. It's such a different world. But anyway, in the 90s, we would trade VHS tapes among teenagers. It was like circulating all around. Did you ever get, did you? No, you were like a little bit past. You were more like CDs, DVDs, right? So I had all of my Disney movies on VHS because mm-hmm. my grandmother and would give me puffy ones? A, a VHS every year yeah, for yeah. Christmas. But probably by the time I was in high school, we were transitioning to DVDs. Yes. Yeah. So I don't remember exchanging VHS tapes. I feel like it was a weird equivalent to in the 80s, like if somebody gave you a mixtape. Yes. We would get these mixed VHSs and it would just be bizarre, weird <laughs> shit on there. But it's just like of the time. But then Sherry Rose tells us about all of these even further back into time and like being a kinky really fucking kinky person back in the day and being like founding like the LA chapter of the Janus Society and oh it's just it's very it's delicious I think kink and queer history and art history for for Los Angeles yes this is a really rich episode so yeah let's just let's get into it Sherry Rose it is so nice to have you on the fuck yeah pod how are you I'm doing fine, thank you. Feels really good to be here. Aww. Has uh, Robin filled you in on what we do to warm our guests up? Not at all. I'm I'm completely uh, virgin in this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, we have a couple rapid fire questions, so you know, don't overthink them. We like to sort of just hear the first thing that comes out. Okay. What is your main source of inspiration right now? It could be a person, a book, something else. I'm inspired by my friends. I have amazingly creative, wonderful friends like Luca Fisher and Badly Lick Bear and Anu. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm surrounded by really creative people and they always inspire me. Amazing. Do you remember who your first celebrity crush was? Elvis Presley. <sighs> and I saw him. I saw him in person when I was 13 or 14 years old. I went by myself on the red car, which they had in L.A. in those days, to the Shrine Auditorium, and I was one of those crazy teenagers running up and down the aisles and going mad for him. (laughs) Oh, I love that. That's so cool. What was it about Elvis? Was it those hips? I heard his voice first on the radio, I think Heartbreak Hotel, and I was mesmerized by that voice. I mean, I had loved pop music. I listened to radio late at night. There were certain shows that were on, but they were all very bland. And Elvis was like from Mars or something. It was like a lightning bolt, the way he sang. Well, I think it was an important influence on me, too. How so? Well, it just showed me that there was things outside of what I thought was normal or what people told me were normal. He was not. He was pure energy. He was sexuality. He was sensuality. That's fuck life. That's sort of what it was like. And, mm. and I, I like that. I realized that when I answered this question for the first time, I thought of my teen years. But actually, Elvis was my first crush around ah, five. Okay. I still have I don't save anything, but I still have my commemorative Elvis stamps from when I wow. was a kid. I was wow. absolutely <laughs> obsessed. My parents had to take me to Graceland in Tennessee. Oh, really? I've never been. I've never been to Graceland. It's no. epic. 
I think he was very important in many ways because like for someone like me, uh, sort of a middle-class Jewish girl, the idea that someone had that much sexual energy and wasn't afraid of it, you know, and just showed it to people. It took me a long time to actually act on that, but it was an influence on me, I think, very much so. What was your first mode of masturbation? Oh, still the same, fingers and on my clit. I started masturbating very young. I think my mother was appalled. I think maybe she caught me at it, but I was an avid masturbator. Do you remember how old you were? Yeah, about five. Wow. And you figured it out with your hands, right? With my hands, only with my hands. But I was able to have orgasms. I didn't know what they were, but I knew it felt good. And I had no words for it, and I didn't share it with anybody. You know, it was very private. I did it alone at night. But my sexuality was sort of stunted, I think, until I was like about 15. And then I had my first real boyfriend. I was 15. He was 21, which I realize now was statutory rape. But back then, I didn't know. I I just thought he was sexy, and he was. But the thing about it, which I think is really interesting, and I think it really did a lot to me, that he would bring me to orgasm with his hands, not his mouth. We didn't have oral sex, never had intercourse, never. But we would go, we were like the typical teenagers that would go in his car, find some dark place in the mountains around L.A., and I get in the back seat, and, and he would bring me to orgasm for hours. Wow. <laughs> I don't think I realized how, how hot that was, but it really was. And he wanted to get married. I said, no, no, I don't get married. But in his group, everybody, the girls got married at 15. Wow. I didn't. I didn't. And I, but I stopped having sex after that because I wasn't interested in, like, normal sex at all. So I didn't, I didn't have any intercourse or anything till I met my husband when I was 21. And that's the first time I had intercourse was with my husband. And I remember the, after the first time that we actually had intercourse before we got married. And I thought, oh, my God, I'm not a virgin anymore. And I was so happy. <laughs> <laughs> what about it made you happy? Because I was no longer a virgin. Like, was it a pressure or you just want to get rid of it? Well, I, I felt I was already like 20 or something. I mean, I was already in college. And I just, after Lonnie... And being in the backseat with him all those hours and having all that great sex without having intercourse. And he was 21. I, I couldn't stand any of the high school boys right. at all. They seemed mm-hmm. like jerks to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And all they wanted to do was feel me up and stuff like that. And I thought, uh, no. So I didn't have any sex at all until my husband. I do think it's really remarkable for any hetero, very young, exploring sexuality relationships to have so much hand sex. Yes. It's very unusual. It's a very queer kind of way it to was, interact. It was. It was. And I, I know I don't remember if I jerked him off at the very end or not. I don't remember much about his penis. I mean, it never, <laughs> it never entered me, and I don't remember it being hard. It must have been. But I guess it was sort of perverse, really. I mean, it certainly was statutory rape. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. My mother, I would sneak out in the house at night. My mother and father never knew. I would sneak out in the back window, just like you see in the movies. Yeah. But then I had a very, very normal married life for, for many years. I never had sex with anybody else but my husband, and it was very unsatisfactory sex. Um, I think I used to masturbate after we made love. I would never let him come inside me. I was, uh, already then I was already different. I would never let him come inside me because I didn't want to get pregnant. And the only times he came inside me was the two times I had two children. Other wow. than that, he was never allowed. After intercourse, he would go into the bathroom, and I would masturbate to climax by myself in like about two minutes while he was in the bathroom. 
was sort of sort of perverse in a, in a weird way. I think it was very common, and yeah. it still can be very common, but my mother specifically told me that she would do that where she would have sex or whatever, and then they would it would be over, yeah. and then she would either go into the bathroom or do whatever to finish herself. Right. I don't know. He didn't... My husband was wonderful. I loved him, but not in a way of a passionate love. I, I loved him because... I became very normal when I was married. I mm-hmm. became a normal Jewish housewife. Mm. And I liked that. I wanted to fit in because I had I had not fit in. But after 14 years, I, I found it very stultifying. I found my married life. He was a lovely man. Uh, we traveled. We had children. He was a good father. There was nothing wrong with this man. But he was 11 years older than me, and he was dull, you know. <laughs> I made him exciting. I, 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 I brought the excitement into our marriage. He did not. But, I mean, and so this is like, what, mid-70s, right? Mm-hmm. So mid-70s, you divorced because you wanted more out of life. Whereas most people, I think, at that time, you're divorcing because things are going really poorly. Mm-hmm. But it's a big deal. It's very self-actualized at a young age and at a time that not many people were doing that sort of thing. Now, the big thing that changed, I think, everything was we took it, we were both teachers, and we took a year off and traveled in Europe in a Volkswagen bus with our two young children. Wow. And that was life-changing for me, because I had really not really traveled that much before. And I loved Europe. I loved the, the nomadic life. So when I came back from Europe, I didn't go back to teaching. But I did go to UCLA. I took a class in archaeology. I wanted mm. to become an archaeologist. And in that class, I met a man. His name was Manuel Uribe. He was from Colombia. And he was very romantic. He was like the polar opposite of my husband. Mm-hmm. My husband was bland, Jewish, nice guy, you know, nothing special. And Manuel was like, he left his home in Colombia to come to America. And he lived a wild, sort of different life. And he became my really my first lover because I, I wanted more out of marriage. I wanted, I thought, well, we'll try open marriage. We'll try this. We'll try that. But uh, I just wasn't happy. And Manuel opened the, my idea to someone. First of all, was sex with him was amazing. Yeah. But I remember he used to tie me up, not with ropes, but with, you know, like nylon stockings, mm-hmm. just, you know, casual. It wasn't heavy S&M at all. Casual bondage. Casual bondage. <laughs> but I had never experienced anything like that yeah. before. So that opened me up to the idea that I needed to see more out of life, more personally, that would satisfy me in many ways, sexually as well as my sense of adventure. You know, I I was always the one with my husband. I was always the one who said, let's do this. Let's go there. We're going to do this. We're going to go to Peru. We're going to go to Europe. It was always my idea. You know, I was dominant even then. It's a bit of foreshadowing. I think it is. In your story. (laughs) I think it is. I think it definitely is. So a bit of foreshadowing in my story happened when I was probably 15 years old. Mm -hmm. We're talking mid-90s now. Mm -hmm. And me and my friends would trade around VHS tapes that Mm. were just, I guess, circulating amongst the teenage youth in Los Angeles. And there's all kinds of things that horrible tape that they would play for you in driving school of all the horrible accidents. Oh, yeah. Oh, I remember those. Yeah, we had those. We we were trading videos of punk rock shows. And I also got a tape of Sherry Rose dominating whom I'm assuming was Bob. (laughs) So and I remember putting that in and watching it with my friend and seeing you, I think, 
like maybe Bob asks a question of you and you slapped him or something. I don't remember that at I don't, all. I don't remember exactly what you're doing. I remember at one point he was on a table tied up and I think you were torturing his penis. And I was like... <laughs> a usual day in Bob and Sherry's <laughs> life. <laughs> typical boring old day. But it blew a door open in my mind, oh, wow. I think. And I remember saying to my friend, she's so mean. And, <laughs> and I didn't know what that meant at the time. But in retrospect, I can see that it was the first time that I ever saw a woman behave that way, especially towards a man, and that it was in a consensual sexual situation and all the power that you held in that moment. It is a real like kink root for me. Wow, that's great. So I can draw it back to you. That's exciting for me. And that's why when I called you up to do this interview and I was like, hey, it's Robin. Remember, (laughs) you know me from all these different places. And we're like, we know each other, but I still, I realize, have you in this space in my mind where you're like this iconic kind of figure to me. So you're this huge figure within like the kink Mm -hmm. and, Mm -hmm. uh, and queer and art community. I think I'm dying to know what's your kink root? Like what really got you off in that in that direction it probably was Manuel you know because I was opening up just the idea that I had this spirit inside of me that has been dormant Mm. for over for 37 years Mm -hmm. you know because I came to it very late you know really did wow yeah and and that started your path on feminism and kink and everything else nudist colonies and (laughs) well kink kink came later kink came with with bob and i had already gone through my my wild period i never had a wild period as a teenager but after i got divorced in 1977 i didn't meet bob till 80 so those two years were were pre-aids and i was very promiscuous mostly with men uh, I would pick them up in bars and sleep with them once and then never see them again. So I was really acting out like a man. And mm-hmm. those and that was my those were my role models was the gay men that I met at a at a Jewish temple, a gay Jewish temple in Los Angeles that my brother belonged to. And there were all these amazingly gorgeous young men and they would talk about their sexual exploits and I loved hearing about that. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to be like that. I wanted to do what they did. Ugh, me and too. I did. <laughs> me too. And I loved it. I loved it. And then I started getting involved with poetry. I had always had a love of literature. So I started hanging out at Beyond Baroque, which is a literary center in Los Angeles. And, and it was really wonderful. And I started dating a guy there. And it didn't work out. But we remained friends. And he invited me to a party at Beyond Baroque. And I was dressed as Jane Mansfield <laughs> with blonde wig and big tits. And I, I knocked on the door of the house. And the door opens. And this guy comes out. And he's like a character from Dawn of the Dead. He had a hand, a severed hand in his mouth, <laughs> bloody shirt, blood all over him. And we looked at each other. We were two dead characters we looked at each other on the stairs of that house and like lightning. Mm-hmm. It really, like in the movies, yeah, it happened. And we started dating after that. And he told me he had cystic fibrosis. And I said, what is that? And he told me it's a you know, life-threatening illness. And he said he's also, he's, he's, um, he's a masochist and he wants to be a slave to somebody. And I thought, this sounds good. And he says, I'm looking for a good two-year relationship. (laughs) I thought, this is, I said, this is weird. I had never really heard of anything he was talking about. I really didn't. Um, I thought, but he's cute. He's sexy. Two years, I can handle this. 
And it became, you know, we were together till he died. I don't remember how many years we were together, 16, 17 years. I mean, it was an amazing story. I think the CF kept him alive and it opened up a whole world for me that I had no idea existed. Mm -hmm. It was a combination, though, of the art, of the poetry, and the idea of me being the dominant force in all this. And he would do anything that I wanted, you know, literally. And it just sort of was nothing planned. It was nothing. We didn't have a a scheme that we were going to do this or that. It just things happened naturally for us. Everything, the world just sort of opened up in front of us. Yeah. And it was wonderful. So before Bob, you had not investigated kink. Not at all. That's so interesting because you played so hardcore with Bob. Well, he was hardcore and I thought he was going to die. What I wanted was, it was my fantasies because I had never really expressed them. But he was a conduit. Without him, I don't think I would have ever found it. I might not have ever found it. You know, I don't know, you know, but my life completely changed when we got together. But I remember I thought it was going to last two years. So I didn't think this is going to be a lifetime. Wow. But I was thrilled that it kept on because it kept on getting better and better. And and we did more and more things. I mean, we, we fulfilled each other's fantasies pretty well. But that was kind of the crux of your relationship with Bob and also Bob's relationship with a sister, a cystic fibrosis. Cystic fibrosis. It was always like, it's going to end at any moment. Right, exactly. And he went to the hospital on many occasions. He had collapsed lungs. He had this, he had that. And as he got older and older, he had to have oxygen with him. So now that I'm disabled and I, I need a lot of help, I so identify with him. Mm-hmm. Then I couldn't because I was totally healthy. Yeah. I, didn't ever, I never even got a cold, you know. Yeah. I was the healthy one and he was the sick one. Yeah. But now it's sort of like I channel Bob a lot mm-hmm. and his courage and his perseverance, even through terrible illnesses. And he would just keep on going. Yeah. He just kept on going to the very end. And I think I have part of his spirit in me. I definitely do. Yeah, that's beautiful. That was going to be one of my questions because the work that you and Bob Flanagan did together has had such a huge impact on the kink community. You know, I think a lot of us have been influenced by it. What do you think the lasting impact, what do you carry with you from that creative practice, from that kink practice, from that relationship that the two of you shared? Well, I think you have to follow your own heart, um, whatever that may be. And it's very difficult, I think, especially now when there's so many restrictions. We didn't have those restrictions. They may have been there, but we didn't know about them and we didn't care about them. And and institutions, I mean, we were in, we were in museums. Mm-hmm. Our, I mean, it wasn't that we were just obscure. We became mainstream, <laughs> you know, and doing shows at the New Museum in New York was a big thing. I mean, we did something in, in Los Angeles at the Santa Monica Museum, but visiting hours in New York, I think, was a huge breakthrough in bringing our lifestyle and our philosophy into the wider world Mm -hmm. of mainstream art. And I think that was very momentous. And I'm I'm happy we did that. Both of those things really influenced a lot of people. I think they really did. Because it was very honest. It was funny also. I think people had the idea, like my brother had the idea, when I told him I was involved in S&M, he says, oh, that's all mafia. You know, <laughs> people had <laughs> really like dark ideas about it. Our club, Society of Janice, had a motto, safe, sane, and consensual, mm-hmm. which meant that you could do anything, but those three things were, were primary. 
Yeah, I mean, you have been practicing kink and art and been in queer spaces for, I mean, decades now. And so, you know, there have been some things that we've lost over the years in terms of the Mm -hmm. ways in which regulation has stepped in and made experimentation more difficult. But absolutely. I mean, what do you feel looking back and reflecting now, like where is the movement at today? Like, what do you, like, how have some of those early roots carried through? What's your perspective? Well, I think in some ways, like say Tom of Finland, it was a relatively obscure thing when it started. Tom of Finland and Dirk Daner, by the way, the president, were very influential in our society of Janus Mm -hmm. because we didn't discriminate about sexual gender or practices or identity. All you had to do was have a sincere interest in S&M. So he brought that whole queer movement, especially the male queer movement, into it. And I started a group of women only because usually the women were always, you know, secondary. The men were the ones who were. So we had our own group, a Leather and Lace And that started a lot of things for me. One of the things that started, I had a slave, Wendy, may she rest in peace, who was a trans woman back in 1982, which Mm. was pretty early. And I wanted her to come into the group. And there were a faction of women in there who did not want her in there. Mm. And it was very much political, like, well, she didn't have her period and she didn't grow breasts. But I said that anyone who identifies as a female, who feels like a female, acts like a female... She's acceptable. That's a female. (laughs) It took a a lot, but she did get into the group. Our parties were wild. They were nude, and we had a lot of SM activities. That's what our group was. I've been really lucky. I have amazing friends and partners, and I want to talk about Martin O'Brien, who's been my S&M partner, my performance partner since 2011. He's gay. We do not have sex, but Mm -hmm. in our art in our performances, I do many of the same things to him that I did to Bob. So he is my Bob in spirit. And since he also has CF, we have that Mm -hmm. much in common. And it's a very intimate relationship without it being sexual in the sense of a romance, not at all. But I think having him and performing with him at least twice a year since 2011 has kept me really involved in seeing and involved in art mm-hmm. and I love him dearly and just finished a performance with him that we did in in London in Whitechapel which was a very big deal because uh, Whitechapel is a very establishment venue mm-hmm. and he's just a wonderful spirit he has he has Bob's spirit mm-hmm. uh, I think people with CF when they're born with a life-threatening disease and they're told they're going to die young I think it opens up something in them that there's no barriers because there's no consequences you know, you you live live was it live hard, die young, something like that. <laughs> There's a song like that that I love, and that's how, that's what Bob did, and who didn't die young. And Martin's 32 now. Yeah, and his art keeps him alive too. I mean, that to me is a miracle that I have two two amazingly smart, funny, sexy men in my life. One is a sex partner, one is an art partner. But I'm so close. I was so close with both of them. I think it's almost mystical, mm-hmm. not religious, because I'm not religious, mm-hmm. but it, it's something that's, that, that how did that happen, that I, I would meet two such men in my life, and, and not only as friends and, and one as a lover, but as art partners, that we can grow and develop our art together. You have a magnetic attraction for <laughs> artistic, for masochistic <laughs> CF guys. Yes, I think so. It seems so. 
Well, I think because for long CF people would not talk about it. It was you'd be ashamed and you would die very young. Yeah. You know. So I think Bob was a good role model for everybody with the disease. And we did a lot in the community of uh, the SM community. We did a lot of stuff that showed that you could be disabled and still be a kinky person. Yeah. It wasn't a death sentence. It wasn't like you had to go in a closet and hide. Not at all. And I think Bob was really instrumental in, in having the acceptance of people who aren't perfect, people who are flawed of any kind, not just CF, but of any kind of thing that makes you different. It's okay to be different. Yeah, yeah. And that's really accepting the whole person. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Rather than mm-hmm. saying like, you are a person with this one disease and that's it. Yeah. You know, yeah. we're so diverse within our own bodies. Exactly. I think if that is anything of a, of a lasting contribution that's wonderful. I'm really happy and proud of that. I'm very sad the way the world seems to be going now. At the height of our SM life in, in Society of Janus, we had huge parties in big clubs that would, during the week, on the weekends, would be dance clubs. And mm-hmm. But we did our SM clubs in these fancy places that nowadays, these are their clothes or they would never allow our stuff to go on. Never. Yeah. But that's what we did back in in the 80s. Yeah. I'm really interested to know what, because there's been so many waves of hysteria and oppression and making gains and having it pulled back and everything. And after, you know, Roe v. Wade being turned. Oh, my God, that's bullshit and then <laughs> and then all of the horrible like anti-drag and anti-trans bills it's a moral panic it is it is do you have advice for like kids today trying to get through this time i don't i have a lot of trans friends who are adults and i have several of my friends have trans children mm-hmm. and i'm trying to be as supportive as i can we live in california so so far california sort of like the bubble, California still has some measure of autonomy of a, on a personal level, mm-hmm. but the rest of the country certainly does not. Yeah. And, I, and it worries me because fascism is something that's been around longer than democracy. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think people like fascism because somebody else tells you what to do. Mm-hmm. Somebody mm-hmm. else tells you what to think. And if you deviate, you're going to get punished. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny because in S&M, it's always punish. You punish if mm-hmm. they're bad. But I never saw it like that. I yeah. never I never felt it as punishment, you know. I always felt it was something that Bob wanted to experience this. And there were some things we did that were radical. For me, I've always felt like any kink games, you might use words like punishment, but it, you're playing a game. You're playing a game. Yeah. Words of S&M are, there are toys. Mm-hmm. They're not right. our implements of torture. There right. are toys. And we have our toy bag with us. <laughs> yes, yes. And I think that's the big difference. It might sound weird, to some people that a sadistic dominant might be against fascism, but it's actually mm. because they're two totally mm-hmm. completely they different are, They things. are totally. The imagery of black leather, I think there's something very primal about that. It has nothing to do with fascism at all. I always loved villains when I was a child. <laughs> and I realize now the reason why I loved villains is because that was the space where women could be powerful Yes. So I love like Maleficent yes. and stuff like that, where I'm just like, yes. or, the, or the witch in Snow White. Yes. I liked her. Yes. <laughs> Bitch, you landed on my sister. She had a right to be pissed. Okay. Maleficent didn't get invited to a party. Absolutely. You know, it's, 
<laughs> I love it. I but get it. And that's why the outfits do it for me too. It's like I want to look like a dark demon goddess yeah. because it's very powerful it's in powerful. my mind. But it's all games. It is a game. And it's because we realize it's a game that I think it's easier to see the game that's being played everywhere that's so harmful. Like the fascist because game it, is because fucking it's, harmful. Because it's not consensual. Yes, exactly. That's the difference. I mean, am I a sadist? No. I'm really being the, the submissive to doing what that person yes. wants done to them. Yeah. That's exactly how I've always thought of it, too. That actually the role of the dominant is to service mm-hmm. the submissive's desires, fantasies, yeah. stay like the creativity is like, how do I stay within these parameters? Exactly. And push mm-hmm. right up to the edges, but yeah. not yeah. cross over. Exactly. Exactly. Can I ask you about. CBT, and I'm not talking about cognitive behavioral therapy. (laughs) I know what you're talking about. I am talking for our listeners about cock and ball torture because I'm realizing you are really the premier cock and ball torturer of of the era. Oh, there's others. I am not the only one. No, of course not. I'm the only one who maybe does it as art. Yes. I would say that's the difference. Yeah. I just want to know what it is for you. I did a fair amount when I was a dom. I loved the part of the bondage part. Like I could, I never got into bondage in general. It was very utilitarian. I can do a mean tie that you won't get out of, but I'm not like a shibari type person. But when it came to CBT and you give me like a couple pairs of shoelaces, I can really whip up something, you know, like tight separated balls and just cage up the cock and strap it to things or tie it to something else. And it's so fun. It is so much fun. But it's really misunderstood. I think it is. Well, for for me, it's it's like, again, controlling the penis, which is something I've always wanted to do. I I just think the penis is way too overrated and rules the world (laughs) when it gets hard. That's all that counts, you know, and I think forget that. I have a, he's not my submissive. He's my play partner, and he loves cock and ball torture. And I've been doing that to him for at least six years on a regular basis. And I use some of the regular leather things, but also I'm very creative and use all kinds of things to tie him up, his penis. And and I've taken photographs of that for over six years, and I'm hoping to have a show of it called Holy Fuck. You know we love that title. I love the title. <laughs> and it's and it's sort of a blend of my religious practices of Hinduism mm. and a Kali, who is a very fierce woman mm. goddess, is my goddess. She cuts off men's heads and she wears them on a belt around her waist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I use her as my metaphor for what I do with men, especially with this particular man. And he's again, it's all consensual. And he loves it. I, he wants me to do more of it. But I've taken photographs of him for over six years. I have probably five or 600 separate photographs of his penis in bondage. Wow. And I want to do a show. Hopefully, I'll get a grant to do it, although it's pretty radical. It really is radical. But it's funny. It's also, that was the thing about Bob and everything that we did. There was always a sense of humor about it. Yeah. Funny. We're not, we're not like these mean people or doing these mean <laughs> things. No, we, there's always a base of humor. Oh, and I think the perfect example of that is, is the video where you or he is nailing his penis to a board. He is. He's nailing his own penis and to a board. And it's playing If I Had a Hammer. Right. If I Had a Hammer. Yeah. You know, and you say, like, wow. Okay. I know. This is, it's radical. It is radical. And it is funny. Radical and funny. But that's, what, that's the other thing about Bob that really made me fall in love with him 
was his sense of humor. Yeah. It was remarkable. In the face of someone else being miserable, being a horrible person, being depressed, staying home, no. And there's a sweetness to the a humor. Su- he, was, he was funny in a sweet yeah. way, and he charmed everybody. I mean, you could not love Bob. I mean, mm-hmm. really. I do want to say, like, a lot of times people will know of Bob before they'll know of you. Oh, yeah. Well, that was what I... Listen, when it all started, I wanted to be, like, the stage mother. Right. You know, mm-hmm. Like, like mm-hmm. in, um, what's... Gypsy. Right. I wanted to be her. I wanted to be that stage mother who made her daughter so <laughs> famous. Well, I will say that you were the person that I noticed mm-hmm. in that video when I was a teenager. But then now, even thinking back on it... You know, you'll see the photographs of Bob who took those photos. Yeah. You did. Yeah. And who was doing all of these horrible, <laughs> these horrible mean things to him. Mm. You were. You know, and so it's like there is no Bob Flanagan without Sherry exactly. Rose. Exactly. It is a symbiotic it was, mutuality. Totally. totally. It totally was. And, you know, I still, I still mourn him mm-hmm. because his uniqueness. Grief never ends. There's an empty yeah. spot because he's Absol- gone. Absolutely. And. No, there's been nobody. That I I don't even want. You know, I mean, you know, I I had two remarkable marriages mm-hmm. uh, to two very different men, but in some ways they were similar because uh, my husband was very submissive to me. I was the one who wanted to go to Europe for a year. I was the one who wanted to go to Peru. I was the one who wanted to buy houses. I was the one who wanted to do everything, and he just went along. Yeah, mm-hmm. he just he never said no. And Bob was similar in his submissiveness towards you, but he brought something into your life. Oh, yeah. Well, he brought, first of all, his masochism, because mm-hmm. I had not really explored that. Which I, totally opened up your sadism. To- totally opened it up. Yeah. Totally opened it up. And I found I was so I was so good at it. And Bob said, <laughs> you're so good at it. You're just a natural. I, I became pro for a while. Yeah. And I loved, I loved, because I had always had normal jobs. You know, you work on an office, you work as a teacher, whatever. But here I would work in for an hour and mm-hmm. then I would come home with like five or six hundred dollars and, and throw it all over the room saying, oh, look at this. Yeah. You know, it was it was liberating as a woman to make that much money yes. in such a short amount of time to me was great. Yeah. You know, it wasn't didn't matter. I think what I was really doing necessarily, although I did. I, I worked for a while as an enema nurse and yep. that was really <gasps> fun. <laughs> That's, That's your other amazing. favorite job. That was my favorite job. Ugh. That was my favorite job. You are hilarious. Sarah, <laughs> I want to tell you that um, Sherry and I figured out that we w- we both worked at the Dominion d- different decades. But yes. Yeah. So that's yes. pretty cool. That is yes. really cool. I want to go back to CBT for a minute and yeah. then um, hear more about your show, Holy Fuck, that you're mm-hmm. trying to get going. What is your favorite thing from this 600 photograph series that you have used <laughs> To tie up, I'm assuming it is Martin O'Brien's penis. No, this, no. It's, oh, it, okay. It's no, not Mar. I do more. I do. I do butterfly board with Martin. Oof. And I, <laughs> and he's not into blood, and he's well, not. In, he's not a masochist. But he, I do many of the same things to him that I did with Bob. I'm sorry, but if you're doing a butterfly board and you're not calling yourself a masochist, can you describe what a butterfly board okay. is for the, the listeners? You have a board, and there's a hole in the middle of it, and the penis and the balls comes through that hole. Okay, mm-hmm. then you spread out the scrotum. With, with needles. Needles. So it looks like a <laughs> butterfly. You know, it's wide. And and as many needles as you can do. And the penis is just sort of there. Um, sometimes it gets erect. Sometimes it doesn't. 
but it's 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 an intense experience and i've done it to bob of course and i and i did it to martin i don't do needles to eric i do many other things and i use anything and everything i can use i i can't even remember all the things i've used with him but any favorites the things mostly are Many, many different things. And over many six years, I can't remember all the things I've done to him. But each one is different. Each one is, is a unique photograph. There's over 600. And I'm going to put them all in this room. You go into this room like a tent. And the whole, the walls, the ceiling, the floor, everything's covered with these pictures. And you sit there like one or two p- people at a time only. You sit there on a, and, and there's a little little altar table. And you sit there and you contemplate what it means to be a man, what it means to have a penis that's not erect. Mm-hmm. And it's beautiful. It's mm-hmm. funny. It's, it's, it's poignant. Mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not doing anything to it that's going to harm it permanently. It's funny. Yeah. It, it makes the penis a, an object of humor hmm. and maybe compassion even. Yeah, you know, it's sort of a sad thing, sort of all tied up there. Yeah, not this typical like hard Ex- strength. Exactly, power. exactly. And yeah. I want people to contemplate that and see how it makes them feel. Yeah, you know, and it's not a mean thing. It's not. Oh my God, this is horrible. I can't look at this. No, not at all. Yeah, just the opposite. And you were talking about this show relating to um, the patriarchy as well. Obviously. Oh, absolutely. Obviously, that's that's the whole point. The whole point of masculinity is the erect penis. Right. And the erect penis that impregnates women if they don't want to get pregnant, but they do it anyway, and they're not, they're not responsible. All this thing about against abortion, where's the man in all this? Right. Well, where's I mean, his part of it? They're, they're, <laughs> they're, they're the ones making the laws. Folks with uteruses are fertile for about 72 days out of the year. And penises yeah. are fertile, three hundred and sixty-five right. days. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and I think this whole thing, anti-abortion, is really anti-woman. Yeah, it's yeah. anti-feminism. Yeah. It's anti-wanting women to have autonomy. Yeah, I feel that's what, and I've been fighting against that my whole life for women to have freedom from not having to be only wives and mothers. You know, having the freedom to do whatever they want to be, and and not having to be slaves to their body yeah you know and that's that's nature that's nothing to do with your 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 will Mm -hmm. or your desire yeah so i i've I've been fighting against that my whole life and i think that's why i think i really took to the act of being a dominant in in the world out in the world not being ashamed of it yeah and not being oh i can't talk about this it has to be in the shadows no i wanted it to be out there in the world that i was the dominant force in the relationship with Bob. Sherry, do you have anything coming up that you want to tell listeners about? Well, that's the main thing is if this if this comes up, that'll be a big thing. Other than that, you know, I do a lot of music videos and my I, I perform in my friends things. I do lectures. I did a lecture last night about trans women. So, you know, I'm, I'm still active because I have a wonderful group of creative, wonderful friends. Mm-hmm. I, I'm really lucky that way. And they include me in a lot of their work. And I think that's fun. I, I like doing it. As long as I can still do it, why not? You know? Well, I will say that you have had a big influence on especially women. Definitely this woman. I, I You're not like, what, what's the, God, I can't think of the fucking word. It's not an idol. It's a. No, um, I'm not. I am not. You're not an idol. You're not an no. idol. You're um, icon. But I do look, I, an icon. You are iconic. And I do look up to you yeah. as. A role model. I a think, role model is the word that I'm I, looking for. I think for. a role model 
for women. And they don't, not that they all have to be dominatrixes. No. They don't have to do all the things I did, but to be themselves. Yes. Whatever that may be. When I was growing up, doctors were all men. Right. <laughs> you know, I have a woman doctor now and I love women doctors, you know, but that's, that's, a, that was a sea change. It really was, you know, and, and women being in professions that they weren't allowed to be. And when I was a teenager, it was be either be a nurse or a teacher. You know, there weren't, there weren't a lot of choices for women. But to sit across from you, you're self-actualized. Mm -hmm. I love you're putting on these black lace gloves oh, yes. <laughs> as we got started. You uh -huh. have your you have a strong sense of style. You know who you are. And as a former sex worker, Dom, current artist, and just trying to be myself, you're you're very inspiring. And that's wonderful yeah. to hear. Thank you. I don't know that I'm all those things. I'm just what I just put my sh my shoes on one shoe at a time or something yeah. like that. I'm yeah. just a <laughs> you're like I just tie up one ball at a time like, exactly everybody else. like everybody else <laughs> <laughs> exactly well, thank you for spending this time with well, us thank you for you for wanting me to be here and it's really been wonderful I've really loved it and I have about 55,000 other questions for you so I'm really <laughs> hoping we can get you back absolutely in the next coming seasons absolutely Well, I feel like I was pretty much on like a learning journey yeah. there with <laughs> Sherry because I don't have the familiarity with her work. I know her work through Bob Flanagan. Uh, they're kind of one in the same. Yes. Yeah. And, but it's interesting that it the way that I've seen it or it's been presented to me, sort of it's what Bob's, you were describing yeah. is like it's Bob's work. Like I know her presence wasn't as significant to me yeah. in the way that it left that really lasting impression on you yeah. and then I've come to know that all of that work was absolutely a collaboration between the two of them like her saying he was so hardcore yeah and I thought he was going to die and so then you're just all in yeah so I've come to understand her and, work and to be clear she thought he was going to die from cystic fibrosis yes, not from yes, the yes, hardcore yes, yes yes from his chronic illness and just like the context that that creates yeah. around what you're doing together. Um, but it was so interesting to hear her talk about having been in a monogamous marriage. Mm -hmm. The openness of the galleries and the museums at the time to treat BDSM mm -hmm. with the level of respect, acknowledging it as an art that's the thing that I think that they've done that's so unique and everything that I've seen of theirs is like they are it's sort of like what Midori does yeah that blurring of the mm -hmm. lines of kink and art and she was talking about CBT as art oh yeah I loved that it's just such a interesting art form and they took it to such an extreme level I mean it's shocking to watch but it is very common their experience of Bob being the focus and Sherry being almost not present oh, at all yeah. whenever we would see that artwork. And I think what happened for me weirdly is that whatever video I saw, I have like this vague blurry image of it in my mind, but she's standing over Bob and I was just focused on her yeah, and yeah, just being yeah. like, oh my God. 
And so ever since then, like, I think I've been more aware and probably just my kinkiness inside was getting fired up. And so I've always been more aware of like the person that's making that stuff mm-hmm. happen oh but he does some gnarly i mean i he he hammers his own penis to a board and <laughs> i mean and by no means let's like be perfectly clear this is hardcore like way beyond anything i've ever done like sherry's like and bob were in a different the, universe I mean, yes uh, when you say sado masochism yes i think that they are i mean like they could be the icons they could be in the dictionary that manifestation of what that really means yes i have actually a segment for you the more you fucking know oh wow that was amazing that's new all right the more you fucking know let's do this okay so You know that I teach as part of a sex education certification program. I do the kink practices course for educators who are getting trained to teach them about real basics of kink, like why are people into it? And like a main focus I have in this class, like the number one takeaway I want people to leave with is that we've got sort of two models for understanding kink, Mm. which is pathologizing. Right. Or normalizing. Mm -hmm. And that in fact, those are sort of clinical ways that we think about things. And kink really lives in the gray area. And so like understanding nuance, like you can be afraid of kink and still be kink affirming. Yes. You know, like you could be like a lot of folks that come into this program that are sex therapists, right? Like they might be folks who have misunderstandings about kink. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that they can't support their clients yeah. through having an integrated connected relationship to their fantasies and fetishes that's so interesting because when you were explaining that so first you gave me pathologize and i'm like okay of course that's terrible and then you gave me normalize and i'm like hmm. yeah i mean i don't totally want it to be normal exactly and, and it's not totally normal Mm-mm. because i started thinking not about the therapist but about the client being like I know personally, I have certain kinks that have come out of certain like traumas that and so it's not totally outside of pathology, but it also doesn't mean that it's not a normal kind of behavior, but it's that mixing of the two that Mm -hmm. kind of is a thing that makes it hot. Yes. Oh, yeah. And that's the gray. And the fact that you can, with kink, you can play with the taboos. Yeah. You can lean into them. Mm -hmm. And for some people, they're not going to bring their trauma to play. Mm -hmm. But for other folks, I mean, I've definitely played with some people who have said, like, this is my pain point around this Mm -hmm. thing. And this is precisely why I need you to lean into. Mm -hmm this aspect of like, you know, meanness or intense sensations or whatever. And then it's like, you know, if you're got someone who's really self-aware, then you can do that quote unquote safely, yes. you know, with risk awareness. Exactly. And it, I think of it as like an embodied, I mean, we had that episode with Tina Horn where you were talking about spanking mm-hmm. as like, oh my gosh, this is such like an embodied somatic practice. And it's like, yes, Mm -hmm. like kink is a way that we work these things out 
in our bodies, like we help refile it in our, you know, yeah. you know, filing cabinets in our brains. But of course, you know, like I'm teaching this intro course. And one of the things I use in my class is a Bob Flanagan piece. Oh, wow. And it is one of the most well-received sections of this training, in my opinion, because I think he describes it like all of this nuance that we're talking about. Yeah. So beautifully. So just for listeners who aren't watching on YouTube, I mean, this is a good one to go over and look at. It's all set against old vintage video of young boys. I think, you know, some of it is him playing and just being. So I'm going to play it for you. Great. And we're going to talk about it. And this poem is called Why by Bob Flanagan, 1985. Because it makes me come because I'm sick, because there was so much sickness, because I say fuck the sickness, because I like the attention, because I was alone a lot, because I was different, because kids beat me up on the way to school, because I was humiliated by nuns, because of Christ and the crucifixion, because of porky pig in bondage, force-fed by some sinister creep in a black cape, because of stories about children hung by their wrists, burned on the stove, scalded in tubs, because of mutiny on the bounty, because of cowboys and Indians, because of Houdini, (coughs) because of my cousin Cliff, because of the forts we built and the things we did inside them, because of what's inside me, because of my genes, because of my parents, because of doctors and nurses, because they tied me to the crib so I wouldn't hurt myself, because I had time to think, because I had time to hold my penis, because I had awful stomach aches and holding my penis made it feel better, because I felt like I was going to die, because it makes me feel invincible, because it makes me feel triumphant, because I'm a Catholic, because I still love Lent and I still love my penis, and in spite of it all, I have no guilt. Because my parents said, be what you want to be, and this is what I want to be. Because I'm nothing but a big baby, and I want to stay that way, and I want a mommy forever, even a mean one, especially a mean one. Because of all the fairy tale witches, and the wicked stepmother, and the stepsisters, and how sexy Cinderella was, smudged with soot, doomed to a life of servitude. Because of Hansel, locked in the witch's cage until he was fat enough to eat. Because of oh, and how desperately I wanted to be her. Because of my dreams, because of the games we played because I've got an active imagination, because my mother bought me tinker toys, because hardware stores give me hard-ons, because of hammers, nails, clothespins, wood, padlocks, pulleys, eyeballs, thumbtacks, staple guns, sewing needles, wooden spoons, fishing tackle, chains, metal rulers, rubber tubing, spatulas, rope, twine, C-clamps, S-hooks, razor blades, scissors, tweezers, knives, pushpins, two-by-fours, <coughs> ping-pong paddles, Alligator clips, duct tape, broomsticks, barbecue skewers, bungee cords, sawhorses, soldering irons, because of tool sheds, because of garages, because of basements, <coughs> because of dungeons, because of the pit and the pendulum, because of the Tower of London, because of the Inquisition, because of the rack, because of the cross, because of the Adams family playroom, because of Morticia Adams and her black dress with its octopus legs, because of motherhood, because of Amazons, because of the goddess, because of the moon, because it's in my nature, because it's against nature because it's nasty, because it's fun, because it flies in the face of all that's normal, whatever that is. Because I'm not normal. Because I used to think that I was part of some vast experiment and that there was this implant in my penis that made me do these things and allowed them, wherever they were, to monitor my activities. Because I had to take my clothes off and lie inside this giant plastic bag so the doctors could collect my sweat. Because once upon a time I had such a high fever my parents had to strip me naked and wrap me in wet sheets to stop the convulsions because my parents loved me even more when I was suffering, because I was born into a world of suffering, because surrender is sweet, because I'm attracted to it, because I'm addicted to it, because endorphins in the brain are like a natural kind of heroin, 
because I learned to take my medicine, because I was a big boy for taking it, because I can take it like a man, because as somebody once said, he's got more balls than I do, because it is an act of courage, because it does take guts, because I'm proud of it, because I can't climb mountains, because I'm terrible at sports, because no pain, no gain, because spare the rod and spoil the child, because you always hurt the one you love. Oh, my God. Uh, I was having so many thoughts. I had to start writing them down because I was like, I'm not going to remember a lot of these. I mean, that was so great. And the impact of it is so great. And how thorough. Yes. I mean, he covers all of these bases. And it's so there's so many moments that it just kind of like hits me that Bob and Sherry met at Poetry. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's hard for me. And she's like, oh, and we were doing poetry and hanging out at poetry places. And I'm like, what? Um, because it's just hard to imagine poetry being like cool and kinky. Yeah. And then you hear that and I'm like, fuck. Yes. I mean, if I heard that at a poetry slam, I would be like, I have to talk to this person. This is yes. unbelievable. Even if I wasn't like a kinky person, it's really beautiful. So there's that. Mm-hmm. The attention to detail that you have to have in order to have these kinds of values, I think is important to note. Like you can, he's an artistic person who is hyper aware of existence yes, and has made an art form out of existence. It's like taking all of those experiences yeah. and composting. Like yeah. I felt in our conversation is like he was Sherry's muse yeah. But probably it goes Vice both versa. ways, right? And so he just takes the totality of his experience yeah. and just lets it all marinate in like a big stew yeah. together. Like it's not this either or binary. Right. It's everything and. Yes, because, <sighs> because, because. I love that you're saying that it's like a compost because it is so many different ingredients that's yeah. making a new life yes yes out of yes. all this shit yeah you know yeah. it's uh, like it's uh, transform it's alchemy i love that like the kink is the alchemy for them yeah. i think especially now that we've had that conversation this conversation with sherry yeah i'm just like thinking of this work in a new way yeah because it's like sometimes you know it's the power of twos like you see this in the tarot as well mm-hmm. like you've got to have that other energy to like bounce off of. I'm not going to say to like give you permission, mm-hmm. but to amplify or, you know, it's the reason why some things can become toxic too. Right. Yeah. But like those two coming together is like a cosmic explosion, mm-hmm. right? Of experiences melding together and really amplifying each other's power. Yeah. So I will never look at this piece of work or anything I've seen from Bob Flanagan quite the same Mm -hmm. again. Yeah. You know, sort of knowing the impact and just a little bit more about Sherry's worldview, her experiences, you know, like the leather and lace women's group. Yeah. It's partly like the beauty of 
when collaboration is just right. Because yeah. she was talking about how before her, nobody would take it as far as he wanted to go. Yes. And she had never seen anybody take it that fucking far. And she's like, how far can we go? And so yeah. there's like, without each other, it doesn't exist. It's yes. together that they get to make it. Like us. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I, I feel like that's the sign of like a really truly great collaboration is when you're able to make something bigger than you'd be able to make on your own. Anyhow, this has been really nice. Yeah, this is a, this was a really good deep dive and I hope that listeners have appreciated it as much as we have. It feels like we are, you know, sometimes there is a moment of importance mm-hmm. and I think that Sherry Rose or anybody that you've got in your life, in your community, who's had an impact, who's getting older, mm-hmm. like don't waste the time. Yeah. Have the conversation with them. Yeah. Because it is really important for us to have this like knowledge transfer and to just really honor like our culture mm-hmm. dismisses people so my mom has talked to me about this a lot that she feels that she just has become invisible Mm -hmm. and it's like oh that's my mom is a incredibly vibrant artist she's been an artist her entire life her life force is very bright Mm -hmm. and to feel invisible is just off I mean I'm so happy that Sherry has so much community around her that I think that she you know is getting her due Mm -hmm. but I you know if you I think it's important that we give the due where it's due you know and fight against this tendency to just dismiss people as they get older yeah a hundred percent and also to see how living authentically can affect people for generations I hope that she came away feeling valued for who she is and for the work that she's done over the years because it's changed the world for us yeah absolutely yeah oh fuck yeah fuck yeah so uh so y'all make sure to subscribe yeah and rate yeah rate us please leave us a review yeah it really helps people to find us and you can also find us on the interwebs at fuck yeah pod on tiktok instagram threads we're occasionally doing some stuff there too and until next week fuck yeah fuck yeah Fuck Yeah Podcast is hosted and produced by Robin Jennings and Sarah Tom Chesson, a.k.a. my mom. Theme music is by She, Her, Sir. Segments are voiced by Kristen Smith Davis. If you're enjoying the pod, please subscribe and leave us a rating or review. And don't forget to share with a friend. You can email us at fyapod at gmail.com or follow us on TikTok or Instagram at Fuck Yeah Pod. Thanks for tuning in.